following is a podcast of Echo, a middle school ministry at Victory Family Church. For more details, visit lifeatvictory.com slash middle school. Man, that is pretty epic up there. <laughs> Man, that gets me so psyched up. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is like me, but I love to work out. Anybody out there love like working out and just pushing it? Uh, man, it's it's something about it. Just yesterday morning, I went for a run, and it's hot, and I'm sweating, and my mind is telling me, this is stupid, don't do this. But with each step, I just keep pushing it a little bit more. And uh, I have my headphones in, and sometimes people on the street probably think that I'm crazy, because I will out loud say to myself, one more mile, one more mile, you don't give up. And I'm like saying it out loud, and they're probably like, what is with this dude? But it pushes me. Actually, last week, I ran a, uh, a mud run, like an obstacle course run, with Drew over here, this guy, and uh, no joke, <laughs> he's running with me, and we're like in the front, and uh, I'm like getting tired sometimes, but I'm like, I can't, I can't stop this guy. This, this kid, he's over here, and he's showing me how to do this. So, man, it pushed me, and it made me just keep going and going. So we're going to hear tonight uh, or this morning one of these parts, don't do a battle alone. That's like in a great example of, um, you know, how it just keeps pushing you. So, sorry, sometimes I come out and those videos play, and it's just like something else goes off in my mind, and I got to share it. But we're in round three of our series called The Fight. And I want to kick it off this morning with an important question. And that question is this. Do you know that right now here in this room, there is a fight going on? And I know we don't see anybody throwing fists and nobody's wrestling on the ground. But I can guarantee you that there is a battle happening in this room right now. And hear me, that battle involves every one of you. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, there is a God and he's madly in love with you. But on the other side of that equation, there's an enemy. His name is Satan and he's coming after you. The Bible calls him your adversary. The Bible calls him your accuser. And it says that he has one purpose in this life and that is to steal, to kill, and to destroy every good thing that's in you. So this morning, Echo, the question that you need to ponder is this. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to a relentless enemy that you can't even see? I'm telling you, this is why you need to know your Bible. This is why you need to go to your Bible because it's there in those pages that the God of the universe is speaking through the ages to you and he's telling you specifically how you are supposed to respond. So if you've got your Bible in hand or you've got it on your phone, I'm telling you, you need to go right now to Ephesians 6, verse 10. Because God's going to hit us with some wisdom today through his servant Paul. Ephesians 6, verse 10, he says this, God is strong and he wants you to be strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and do what with them? Put them to use so that you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. Right here in this scripture, Paul sounds a lot like my mom. 
okay? When I was growing up, I didn't grow up in the best of neighborhoods. Uh, it was actually pretty rough. There were a lot of, like, police chases and, like, drug busts and all sorts of stuff going on. So whenever I would go out to play for the day, on my way out the door, my mom would say, hey, remember, if somebody hits you, you hit them back. Somebody else's mom has some wisdom, I guess, right back there. Mo other moms in the room are like, no, no, don't tell my kids that, okay? <laughs> but my mom gave me permission to defend myself. And what we're seeing here is that your heavenly father is no different. He's giving you permission. He's, he's challenging you to defend yourself against the enemy when he attacks. But what exactly is he trying to attack? We can't defend ourselves if we don't know what part he's trying to attack. Well, what he's after is actually the most important part of who you are. And that's your heart. So what you need to do is guard and defend your heart. And that's why we've titled this message this morning, You Can't Have Access to My Heart. The devil is actively trying to make his way in there, and you need to be the one to learn to rise up and say, No, you can't have access to the most important part of who I am. So come on, let's pray this morning before we get into the meat of this message. God, I thank you so much that you have made every single heart in this room. You've placed desires unique to every single heart. But God, we know, even now, some of us are going through fights, struggles, and battles that are trying to corrupt our hearts and even the way we see and expect life. But I thank you, God, that you have given us weapons to defend ourselves, that you are teaching us how to stand up to the enemy and I thank you that in Jesus, we are promised victory. So we take hold of it today, and we ask that you help us to form new beliefs in our hearts that allow us to defend ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to drive home the point this morning with an illustration, and there's no better way to do that than by sharing a personal story with you, and specifically, it's a stupid husband moment of mine, okay? Any husbands in the room? Okay, you know what I'm talking about, stupid husband moments. They just kind of pop up. All the ladies in the room are like, it's true. Okay, like even though we grow up, we're still boys at heart. So ladies, when you grow up someday, you're going to get married to a guy that has stupid husband moments all the time. Just take a breath right now and learn to just forgive. Okay, because it's going to happen. But basically, Sarah and I went to bed late one night and we knew that we had worship the next day and we have to be here real early to practice. But we went to bed late, and I don't know if we just didn't set our alarms right or we slept through them, but we woke up late. And immediately, as soon as we wake up late, I mean, we jump out of bed. We're rushing around in the bathroom trying to get ourselves ready. We grab all our stuff together, and I tell her, hey, I'm just going to drive, so just head out to the car. So she walks out of the door. She goes to the car. I walk out of the door second, slam the door closed, and right in that moment when I heard the lock click, that's when I knew. I messed up. She goes down to the car. She tries the handle. It's not open. She looks at me and says, hey, unlock the car. My head's down. And then I look up with a slight tear in my eye. And I have to admit, I just locked the keys in the house. Okay? And she's like, you did what? And I'm like, I locked the keys in the house. I don't know what to do. So she, she comes up, and we're looking in this little window that's on our 
door into our kitchen, and we could see the keys, like, right there on the countertops, and it's like, they're so close, but they're so far. Are we going to break this window? No, we can't do that, okay? So we're trying the door. It's locked. We go to the back door. It's locked. We go to the basement door. It's locked. We're trying all the windows. All of them are locked, and just when it seems like all hope was lost, we remembered there was one window that we left unlocked, and I brought a picture of it for you here. Okay, now, it's not that huge window that's conveniently placed by the steps, okay? It's that little Willy Wonka-looking window right there that's like six and a half feet off the ground. And all I have to say is that, thank the Lord, he made my wife the way she is, because she's only five feet tall and 100 pounds, and I was able to actually lift her up onto my shoulders and she's standing on my shoulders trying to, like, crawl into this little tiny window. And at one point, she kind of got stuck, and I, I backed away, and she was literally hanging out of the window like this, just with her butt and legs showing. And after I finished laughing for a little bit, I grabbed her and started pushing her through the window. Our neighbors are walking down the street like, are these people breaking into this house, you know? But thank God she made it through the window. She opened up the door, and the wife came to save the day, as, as she always does. You know, that story would have been a heck of a lot simpler had we just left our doors unlocked. But why don't we do that? We lock our doors because we know that we have precious items inside our homes that we don't want potential criminals to break in and steal. But think about this. If we're willing to lock our doors so that people don't steal our Xbox, why aren't we willing to put locks on our hearts to keep the devil from stealing our joy? Did you know that your heart is the most important part of who you are? In fact, Proverbs 4.23 says it this way. Above all else, literally above everything else you could do in life, guard your heart. Why? Because your heart determines the course of your entire life. And even though we know it's that important, so many of us, myself included, just leave our hearts wide open for the devil to come in and to go out as he pleases, sowing seeds of discord and disunity and fear and greed and anger and lust. We're letting him be the one leading our lives. And yet we're over here looking at God and we're saying, why can't I win? We're letting Satan lead our hearts. We need to defend them. We need to save them only for Jesus. So how do we do that? One key way that you defend your heart is laid out by Paul in a later part of Ephesians 6. I'm going back to Ephesians 6. And Paul says this. This is for keeps. This is a life or death kind of fight. So you need to be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. So take all the help you can get. Take all the help you can get. I don't know if you realize it or not, but it's like our society is trying to teach us that the word help equals weakness. That there's no greater honor than fighting alone. 
so that at the end of the day, you can stand up in front of everybody and say, I am self-made. And maybe you've bought into that lie to the point that you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I don't need this right now. I don't need to listen to this old dude talk to me about stuff that he doesn't understand. Yeah, I've got my battle, but it's my battle, and I know how to fight it on my own. But there's really no honor in pride. In fact, pride is foolishness, and the Bible says that pride comes before a fall. And if you think about it, what's the last thing you want to do in a life or death fight? It's fall. You want to be able to stand strong. You want to be able to be armored up. That's why you need to take all the help you can get. Think about it this way. Has, show of hands, anybody ever been paintballing in here before? Okay, a lot of us. Good. It's fun, right? It's super fun. But the very first time you go paintballing, you're probably not thinking about how much fun it's going to be. You're thinking about how much it's going to hurt. Thank you again over here, the support. You know, I was afraid of how much it was going to hurt. No shame, I almost cried the very first time I went. Okay, I was a 21-year-old man, and I'm ready to cry because I'm afraid how much a little, you know, ball of paint is going to hurt on my skin. But I manned up because I decided I'm going to go into this fight ready. Okay, while the rest of my friends showed up in just tennis shoes and jeans and a t-shirt, not this guy. I decided I'm going in full battle attire. I'm talking I had long johns on, then I had a pair of sweatpants on, then I had a pair of jeans on, then I had a baseball cup on, then I had a set of windbreaker pants on. I had three t-shirts, a long sleeve shirt, a hoodie, a thick winter jacket. I put on a beanie with my mask, gloves, thick wool socks, hiking boots. Man, I look like Randy, the little brother from a Christmas story up there, okay? I was just like waddling around on the field like this. I couldn't put my arms down, but I had no fear, okay? I was running around on that field, dodging stuff and jumping over stuff and sliding on the ground. I was like Master Chief out on that field, okay? Yeah, that was me in my mind <laughs> for you Halo fans. You know, there was even a moment where the other team was in their base, and they're all holed up together, and my team's like, how do we get in their base? We need to get their flag. They're just going to light us up as soon as we get in there. And I'm like, guys, that's easy. I'll just sacrifice myself. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. I just turn right around, waddle right into their base, and the guys are like, like all six guys just unloaded their guns. I was just covered in yellow paint. But I didn't feel a thing. Most importantly, I didn't feel any fear. Why? Because I trusted in my armor more than I trusted in myself. And that's what God wants for you. He wants you to be armored up from head to toe. And how do you do that? Every single time you show up at church and you actually listen and then apply, you're putting on a layer of protection. Every day that you spend time in your Bible and in prayer, you're putting on a layer of protection. This is an important one here. Every time you actually go into your small group and you don't just have a fun time, but you actually open up and talk about, I'm dealing with this, I'm confused about this, can you pray for me for this? 
You're putting on protection, and you're getting ready for the fight. Remember, you're defending the most important part of who you are. So don't do it alone. Do it God's way and take all the help you can get. Number two, the other way that you defend and guard your heart against all the enemy's attacks is by putting on the only specific piece of armor that God designed for your heart. And if you don't listen to any other part of the message, this is the section you really need to pay attention to. It's the most critical part of winning this fight. Back in Ephesians 6, verse 13 and 14, Paul says this, take up the whole armor of God. See, I'm not just making this up, guys. This is Bible that I'm talking here. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Guard your waist with truth, and watch this. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. See, back in old days of war, the breastplate was like this metal piece that covered you on your entire torso from attacks. And God's saying that there's a breastplate of righteousness that you need to put on. So why is he telling us to guard our hearts with righteousness? Well, you see, the enemy is going to try to get into your heart, point a finger in your face, and accuse you. And by doing so, he wants to bring guilt and shame and discouragement. And I'm not saying this because it's what I read in the Bible. I'm saying this because it's what I experience in my life, even to this day, when he attacks me. I might be 33 years old, but he's still accusing me of things I did when I was 21. And if I sin today, he's going to throw it right back in my face and point a finger and say, See, you haven't changed yet. Yeah, you raised your hand and you accepted Jesus when you were 15, but you're still struggling with this. If you really loved God, wouldn't you be over it by now? And even when I'm working here at the church, right here in church, it's like the enemy just pulls a seat right up into my cubicle and he whispers in my ear, what do you think you're doing? Like, you're, you're not creative enough to do this job. You're not smart enough. They're going to find out that you're a fake and you don't know what you're doing. And it weighs on me. And when I start to let him in there and let him take ground, and I believe what he's saying, I start to feel depressed. And worse yet, I feel absolutely unworthy of God. And when I feel depressed and when I feel unworthy, and I just, I just want to be straight right now with you guys. When I feel depressed and when I feel unworthy, do you know what I do? I clean. Okay? I clean my house. Now, that may not have been exactly the response that you were expecting leading up to that moment, okay? But that's what I do. I get depressed, I feel unworthy, I go home, I toss my stuff down, and I start mopping the floor, and I start wiping the countertop, and I start running the vacuum. My wife hates when I feel depressed, but secretly I think she likes the cleaning part. I don't, I'm still figuring that one out. But why do I do that? I do that because I get into this like ultra performance mindset. And I'm, when I'm feeling 
bad, I'm like, I need to prove the devil wrong. I need to prove myself wrong. And I need to show that I am not what he says I am. And so I start doing works, trying to climb my way out of that pit. But it must have rained because the pit is muddy. And no matter what I do, it's like I slide right back down in. Maybe, maybe you felt like that. You know, why, why do we end up feeling that way no matter how much good we try to do? Isaiah 64 says this. Your greatest deeds, your very best deeds are filthy rags compared to God. Romans 3 says this. All of us have fallen short of God's glory and goodness. Are those verses there to make us feel bad? No. Those verses are there to remind you that your good deeds will never be good enough for God. But hear this, even more important, your good deeds will never be good enough for you. You can strive and strive and strive to prove yourself, to prove everybody else, and to prove the devil wrong, and you're going to climb and slide right back down into that pit of guilt. So what is it that you need to do? God says you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. But whose righteousness is it? Is it the righteousness that you feel you've earned from your good works? No. It's the righteousness that God's given to you through Jesus. I'm talking 2 Corinthians type of righteousness. 2 Corinthians says, He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for you, so that you might become, watch this, the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. So what does that mean? It means when Jesus hung on the cross, and he took your sin, and he took your guilt, he then gave you his righteousness. So now your righteousness is his righteousness. It's not righteousness that you've earned. It's righteousness that's been given. It's not righteousness that you have to maintain. It's just who you are. You are God's righteousness. Why? Because that's the way he made it. So much so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you anymore. He sees Jesus. And so I want to ask you an important question here and really let it sink in. If God sees Jesus when he looks at you, who do you see when you look in the mirror? If God sees Jesus when he looks at you, then who are you to try to fight this battle by your own efforts? The enemy could care less about your good deeds and my good deeds. He's still going to attack. He's still going to try to condemn. And I want to be real honest here. Have any of us ever felt condemned in church of all places? You know, maybe when Pastor Ben is speaking, you feel kind of like uncomfortable and ugly in front of God. Maybe during worship when they say to put up your hands, it's like there's something like keeping your hands down and you just feel so horrible lifting your hands up. If you've ever lacked confidence before God, I don't want you to feel bad about it because you're not alone. I've been on that adult worship team over there for 15 years and there are still times to this day when I experience it. 
you might be over there and, and see me on stage with my hands up. And you might think, man, he's got it all together. But up there, when people don't realize it, I'm struggling. I'm feeling unworthy in front of God. We don't need to run away from those moments. We need to press in. We need to ask, why do I feel ugly in front of God right now? Why am I lacking confidence? And again, that's why you need to know your Bible. 1 John chapter 3 says this, If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. So if we're lacking confidence in front of God, there must be condemnation in our hearts. Who put that condemnation there? The enemy. But think about this. Who is it that let the enemy in? Are you guarding your heart? And if you are, what are you guarding it with? I want you to stand to your feet, and then you're going to come forward right now into worship. And I don't want you to just come into worship. I want you to come in worship, meaning you might have to close your eyes or raise your hands, or maybe for you, God hits you with something, and it's like, I just got to kneel before his throne right now. That's not weird. That's honoring God. And as we get into this moment and you're just focused on you and God, I want you to close your eyes because I'm going to read you something that I feel God had for me to write for you. And I want you to hear it as if it is your heavenly father speaking directly to you. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the wisdom you have for us. God's saying this to you tonight. My child, my beloved, start laying down your weapons. Start laying down your defenses. They aren't strong enough to win this battle. You've got to lay them down and take up the righteousness of Jesus. You've got to see yourself in him, born again, raised to life, and made new. In fact, when the enemy tells you something about you, you don't look at you anymore. You look only to Jesus. And so that means if what the enemy says does not line up with who Jesus is, then it doesn't line up with you anymore. There's no condemnation for you because you're found in Christ. So I want you to know it's not about how good you are and it's not about how much good you've done. It's about turning to the only one who is good and letting him become your armor. We're going to go into a time of worship here, guys, and I just want you to meditate on what God has said to you this morning.